Okay, now we're going to go over a little bit, but I, I, not, not a whole lot. I knew that this was going to be a long service, so I trimmed a bunch of stuff. And there, this is a great passage. There's so much here. I ask you to investigate it. There's some real sexy things in John 2 and 3 um, that most people want to preach, but I preached on those uh, January 10 and January 17 uh, in 2016. So the wedding at Cana and the, the calling or the, the, the interaction with Nicodemus. I'm going to give you just a little background on those, and then we're going to get to the clearing of the temple. So there's a couple of things you need to know about the wedding in Cana. First of all, Cana is in the north. And when Jesus is at this wedding, uh, they're out of wine. That was a, actually a civil offense. If you, if, you're, if you host this party, the master and mistress of ceremonies, you could go to jail or be fined if you run out of food in that week-long celebration. Apparently, they like their wine. So Jesus does a miracle, and he turns water into wine. That's what we remember, but there's something else going on. In the Gospel of John, Jesus is doing this, but John makes sure that we know about it. In the Gospel of John, specifically, John is always saying what's happening and what's beneath the surface. There's always something else going on. In John 1, when we hear, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was with God, and the Word was with God in the beginning, and the Word became flesh, We've talked about that, that idea that the Greek Hellen, Hellenistic world had of this force that's kind of God. And, and, and John right away saying, nah, God is flesh and it's in the person of Jesus. He calls him the lamb of God time and time and time again. And then last week we, we learned about Jesus when he's calling Nathaniel, he refers back to um, Jacob's ladder, Jacob's dream when the angels are ascending and descending. Um, God, and then Jesus says, you will see uh, angels ascending and descending on the son of man. So the, where, when Jacob saw that, he said, surely the presence of God is in this place and I was unaware. And Jesus is saying that the presence of God is, uh, is me. You may be unaware. And then he goes off to Cana to this wedding and, and the, you don't mess with the ritualistic cleansing jars. You just don't do it. And that's the water that he transformed into wine. He made new wine from dank, gross, disgusting water. But what he's saying also, there was a, there was a pagan god called Dionysus that, he was, that he, was, he was calling out a little bit, but he's also saying this ritualistic cleansing is being transformed. It's no longer needed. So he's in the north, and the kingdom used to be divided kind of north and south. He's in the north, and he does this miracle where the, ritual, the individual ritualistic religious cleansing is no longer needed. And then he shows, he comes to the south, to Capernaum, and then to Jerusalem, and he changes the temple. Now, there are theologians. Some of them are actually believers. There are a lot of theologians that are not followers of Christ, okay, just so you know. So they look for ways to, to discredit the gospel. Um, some, some theologians believe that John just took the clearing of the temple and put it in a different spot at the beginning of Jesus' ministry instead of at the end where it shows up in the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. In fact, in Matthew in particular, the cleansing of the temple, when Jesus shows up there, that becomes the impetus for those guys to get him, to kill him. Now, but others argue that it happened twice. And I'm, just so you know, I'm of that school of thought because there's enough difference in the record of Jesus showing up in John 2 in the temple and Jesus showing up at the end with the synoptic gospels. And there's one thing in particular that, that John, that Jesus highlights that John records that, that ties it back. John is very clear that Jesus is something Someone, he's God in flesh, and he's here. He's the presence of God on this earth, and he's here to redeem. John gives us 
um, editorial notes that other gospels don't. He assumes that the reader already knows that this stuff took place. And so he adds little things like Simon, he renamed Cephas, which when, when translated means Peter. Um, we have those kind of things. There's two or three of them in this passage today. But he mentions one of the animals, types of animals that are in the, that are in the temple that none of the other gospels mention. And so I think he's tying back to Genesis 15. We're going to read it, and we'll read it all the way through, and then I'll highlight that, uh, a couple of things, and then I want to challenge you at the end with something I think is spectacular. Um, Not me challenging you, but Christ's challenge to all of us. After this, this is after the wedding at Cana, he went down to Capernaum with his mother and brothers and his disciples, and they stayed there for a few days. And when it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, by the way, John records three Passovers in the ministry of Jesus. That's why we have an idea that Jesus' ministry was about three years long, his public ministry. Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Uh, in the temple courts, he found men selling cattle and sheep and doves and others uh, sitting at tables exchanging money. So he made a whip out of cords and drove all from the temple area, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of money, the money changers and overturned their tables. To those who sold doves, he said, get these out of here. How dare you make my father, turn my father's house into a market? And there's a wordplay here in the, in the Greek. How dare you turn my father's house into a house of trade? His disciples remembered, this is one of those editorial notes. His disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. Then the Jews demanded of him, what miraculous sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all of this? And Jesus answered them, you know, they're asking for a sign, right? So he says, destroy this temple and I'll raise it again in three days. The Jews replied, it has taken 46 years to build this temple and you're gonna raise it in three days? But the temple he had spoken of was his body, another editorial note. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he had said. Then they believed the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken. Now, while he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many people saw the miraculous signs he was doing and believed. And I'll put the belief in quotes because it's not, it's not faith belief, it's kind of enthused belief. Um, But Jesus would not entrust himself to them for he knew all men. He did not need man's testimony about man for he knew what was in a man. Again, there's tons of stuff going on here, but I want to show you that, that, that John records these things that Jesus said, and he, he, he singles out that there's not just doves or not just animals for sacrifice, but he singles out cattle, doves, and sheep. And the first time we hear about that in the, people, in the, in the history of the people of God is Genesis 15. And you know this, you, we've summarized this before. It's kind of a gross uh, passage. It's, it's kind of brutal passage, but God makes a covenant with Abram, and he asks Abram to get a cow, Sheep, I think there's goats in there too. Dove, cut them in half, make a trough and let all the blood spill into this trough. And then he, he makes this covenant with Abram. And he basically says this, I'm summarizing. There's a lot of, lot of background you would need to really understand it. But, but he says, Abram, if I'm not faithful to the covenant I just made with you, that all people will be blessed, that God will redeem humanity through you and your, and your offspring. Um, if I don't keep that covenant, you can spill my blood and walk through it. 
That's the blood path. And so Abram's freaking out, I'm sure, because he's got to make this covenant with God. And if any of Abram or any of his people ever mess up, God gets to kill him or his people. But God says, no, God walked through the blood path again. So basically what God was saying to Abram was, if I'm, if I don't, if I'm not faithful to the covenant I just made with you, you can kill me. And if you're not faithful or any of your people aren't faithful to the covenant that I've made with you, you can kill me. So Jesus shows up at the place where God resides on the earth. Now he's already said at the calling of Nathaniel that this is the presence of the Lord, Jesus. And he shows up in the temple and he's frustrated. He's not frustrated because they're exchanging money for the temple tax. He pays the tax. He's not even frustrated that they're selling cattle and sheep and, and doves because he knows that no sheep, no, no lamb can be offered for sacrifice um, that hasn't been born in Bethlehem. So people coming from far away, they can't, they can't carry these animals and have them remain blemish-free. So he gets all of that. It's where they're doing it. He's take, he, they've taken where God is to be worshiped where our focus is supposed to be solely on the God of the universe, what he's done for us, what he's doing in us, what he's doing through us. It's supposed to be our concentration, our, 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 what we're supposed to be paying attention to is supposed to be who we are because of whose we are. But they've made it noisy. They've made it a distraction. They've moved it to convenience so that it feels holy that they're distracted from God. So he was in Cana, and in Cana, this ritualistic cleansing that everyone had to do, they had to present themselves pure before the Lord by striving. And now he's in the temple, and it's, it's cluttered, it's noisy, it's not, it's not about God anymore, it's about all this other stuff. And Jesus, by his mere presence, but certainly by throwing the throwing the coins aside and telling them to get this stuff out of here. Don't turn my father's house where people are supposed to worship the God of the universe. Don't distract them with busyness and noise that then you call it holy. And another thing you might miss in here, um, if you're just reading through it, because we're always trying to get on to Nicodemus. Nicodemus was, was a holy man. He was a religious ruler and he showed up at night to meet Jesus so that everyone doesn't see it. But here's what, John did not intend that we would finish chapter two and then wait a couple of days and, and read on to chapter three. It reads like this. It said, it said that uh, he did not need man's testimony about man for he knew what was in a man. Now there was a man. He's tying it all together. Nicodemus shows up with an attitude and, he, and he's questioning Jesus. And Jesus says to this, unless you're willing to be born Unless you're born again, you cannot empty, enter my father's kingdom. And Nicodemus with his attitude, oh, what, am I supposed to crawl back into my mother's womb? And Jesus is like, no, everyone's born of blood, but you got to be born of spirit. Something has to change. John is not separating these things by chapter. He's saying one thing the whole time. What's in the heart of people? Jesus is saying, God promised that you could kill God if you were unfaithful 
And now Jesus shows up. The presence of God on this earth is Jesus. He shows up to the place that they all thought was the presence of God. He finds it busied and cluttered. And he, he says, no more. What he's saying by clearing the temple this early in his ministry is that this ritualistic sacrificial system is done. It is no more. Because Jesus, who John the baptizer calls the Lamb of God, who's come to take away the sins of the world, there's no longer going to be any need for all of this stuff, all of that religious rites and ritual. Jesus is the fulfillment, the completion, and the transformation of everything God had promised. Not just in Scripture, not just in spirit, not just in, in theory, but actually. You know that when they used to kill the Passover lamb, the the rope that they guided it in before they cut its throat um, was white, and then it would be drenched with blood, and they would take it out and they would put it outside so that over the the, the sins would would go away, and the, and it was this deep deep red and this cord, and then over the days and weeks, the the sun would bleach that cord white, so that the people had a visual picture that their sins had been taken away. You know that from, we're not sure exactly, but either 31 or 32 AD, about the time Jesus was there, when they cut the lamb's throat and the blood red cord that they hung up to be bleached with snow, it or bleached like snow, it never bleached again. Because God in actual physical form in Jesus is saying, no more need for that stuff. That system is done. Christ is that system. And we've got to praise God for that. And on top of that here, it says he did not entrust himself to, to those people because he knows what's in it. They weren't really following him. They just liked the, 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 the Holy Spirit shivers they were getting by seeing miracles. But then he goes on to Nicodemus and Nicodemus comes with an attitude. And his attitude is basically this. Yeah, 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 but I know better. So here's my challenge that I think is, is, is it's unavoidable in the first two chapters of the gospel according to John. Where are you saying to God, yes, Lord, but... Yeah, yeah, Lord, I know what I'm supposed to do with my money, but I have debts to pay off. I have da, da, da. Yes, Lord, I know how I'm supposed to raise my kids, but. Yes, Lord, I know I'm supposed to behave this way toward my spouse, but. Yes, Lord, I know that I'm supposed to do this in retirement, but. Yes, Lord, I know that you have a call on my life, but. That's what Nicodemus is doing. And Jesus says that but has to go away. You need to be changed from the inside out. You need to be born of the spirit, born again. I know I sound Baptist right here, but it's Jesus, not me. You gotta be born again. God knows your heart. In fact, his heart is now the Holy Spirit of God. The temple is no longer brick and mortar. It's now flesh between two breathing lungs. So Jesus is saying in, by his action, he's always got the surface actual event, but then there's something else below. Jesus is saying, if you're striving to clean yourself up, to make yourself presentable to God, like the people with the ritualistic cleaning at the wedding, he goes, done. It's not what you do on the outside. It's what you do on the inside. You can't clean up before you, it's, it's silly to clean up before you take a shower. Jesus is the shower. You can't strive to make God accept you 
He already does. And if you're making yourself busy and calling it holy, that's like the money changers. Don't stop. Worship the Lord your God with all of your heart, strength, soul, and mind. And if you think you know better, he knows your heart. And none of us would ever say, yes, Lord, I know, but. But think about it when you pray, when you confess. Have you ever had that thing that you, yeah, Lord, I know, I've been praying about this a lot, and, and, but. Either he is God, and he knows better than we do, or we're God, and we don't need him. John is, without question, communicating much in two chapters. And you will see more and more of Jesus interacting with the religious leaders. And they're all like Nicodemus. He actually picks fight. He, he says in the gospel, according to John, you don't speak your native, you speak your native language and it's the same as your father, the devil. He's saying all this, all that, all that busyness, all that striving, all that making yourself presentable to God is done because the lamb of God took away the sin of the world, and you receive grace and mercy. But folks, there's some of us in here that are not born again. And if you're not, in a moment, pray with me. And if you are, ask God to show you your heart and to show you where you're either striving, you're making yourself busy and calling it holy, or where you think you know better than God. Because God wants to transform you like he did water to wine. He wants to cleanse out the temple of your heart. And he wants to have you born again. Born of the spirit, not of the flesh. Let's pray. Almighty God, you are God and we are not. And you tell us through your apostle Paul, that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe, really believe in our hearts that you raise him from the dead, we will be saved, we'll be born again. So Lord, I confess that Jesus is Lord over my life. I'm not anymore. And I believe that you, Father, raised him from the dead to save me from my sin. I accept and receive the forgiveness that you offered me through the blood of the Lamb, and I pledge, as far as it depends on me from now on, to live for you. And Lord, I ask now on behalf of all of us that you fill us with your Holy Spirit, that we become the place where God's dwelling place is, that you fill us with your Holy Spirit from the bottom of our feet to the top of our head, so that everywhere we go and everything we say and everything we do, people see you in us. We pray these things in Jesus' name, through the power of the Spirit that lives within us, for the glory of God our Father. Amen. The Lord bless you and keep you and make his face shine on you, be gracious to you. The Lord turn his countenance toward you. That's a look on God's face. God smile at you and give you peace. And all of God's people say, Amen. go with and in the peace of Christ.